Thank you. And that's all I have to say about that. Isn't that exciting? Okay, let's get on to Revelation. Um, I wanted to tell you about a meeting I had uh, several weeks ago. Actually, several of us on staff, we hosted a man by the name of Warren Jansen. You don't know the name, perhaps, but he is, he is a missionary. Uh, that he is the longest tenured missionary the chapel supported for a long time. He, was, he and his wife, Dorothy, were missionaries in Japan. And now he, has, he is the international director of one of the largest missionary sending agencies in the world, SEND International. They're out of Detroit, and they send missionaries to unreached people group areas in the world. And some of these places where they send missionaries are very hostile places, places that are hostile to Christians and to churches, where the church actually has to go underground because it's so suppressed and, and oppressed, and, and the Christians are persecuted. And so we talked with Warren about so many different things. He's so well-versed about what's going on in the world. But one of the things I wanted to know was... Um, is it true, Warren, I asked, when you go to these places in the world where Christians are persecuted, where, it, where it's difficult to, to operate as a church, is it true that in these, among these Christians, their, their favorite book in the Bible is Revelation? And he, without taking a moment, said, yes, it is. And as we know, it's because God wins. <laughs> And because God wins, we win. There's, if you've been here uh, for the last weeks as we've gone through the book of Revelation, Revelation is a hard book to understand, but that is not hard to understand. In the end, God wins, and we win. So, let me jump into a quote. This will connect in some way. Uh, a quote by Benjamin Franklin, probably said tongue-in-cheek years ago, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. <laughs> but, 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 but I think what, what he left out is pain and hardship and suffering. Those are our realities that are certain, aren't they? And, uh, of course, uh, on one level, uh, it's because we live in a broken world. You don't have to live very long to know this world is not perfect. I mean, today you will... You probably have some fun plans for the day. It's going to be a beautiful day, and you'll go do something exciting and fun. But, but, but in, the, in the recesses of our mind, we know that life can be very hard. Uh, we just talked about cancer a moment ago. Someone you know, maybe you yourself, have faced cancer. I'll talk about it even more deeper in the message. Um, COVID is all around us. Some of you don't know, but uh, when I was a pastor in Akron for 23 years, I, I developed a tremendous friendship, and then became best friends with a man named John. Uh, he, several months ago, he died from COVID complications. Just a terrible loss, broken world. What's it like for somebody to arrive at work one day and to be told, I want to see you for a moment, and then to be told your services are no longer welcomed here? It's hard, difficult. What is it like for a relationship to, uh, to end suddenly? Yesterday, our neighbor came next door the guy in the home just left. What's that like to be abandoned? I mean, we could just go on and on and on. All of us, could, we could go up and down the rows and each share a story of brokenness and hardship. Now, that's on one level uh, because we live in a broken world. But at another level, in another dimension, um, there's another kind of hardship, and that is if you are a Christ follower. You know what Jesus said to the disciples, the first disciples, follow me. And they followed him. 
But it probably wasn't too long until they figured out, you know what, there's a cost to following Jesus. And if you are a Christ follower, you probably haven't lived very long until you figure that out. On your team, in your school, at your workplace, in your home, there can be a cost to following Jesus. And then on top of that, you know, we, we learn in Scripture, we learn from Jesus, certainly we learn in the book of Revelation, we have a spiritual enemy, an unseen spiritual enemy who seeks the unseating of Christ, the undoing of the work of Christ. He seeks to pull us away from following Jesus. That's a reality for anyone who is a Christ follower. So Revelation is incredibly meaningful to us as it helps us understand what's going on, how to go through that. Now, when these, when these hardships come, when, when the dark clouds come, when night descends upon us, what, what do you do? And it seems that there are two paths we can take. Um, in Scripture, and especially in the book of Proverbs, what's apparent is there's two paths in life. There's the path of wisdom. There's the path of folly. If you try to take the middle path, by default, you'll take the path of folly. Let me talk about the path of folly for a moment. When those difficulties come into our lives, for whatever reason, because we live in a broken world or because we're following Jesus, um, it seems that we can tend to lean away from God. And, and these questions may not, you may not vocalize these questions, but deep down, even though we're told in Scripture that God is all-powerful and all-loving, you can begin to think, well, if God is all-powerful and can do anything, then he must not be very loving to allow this to happen to me. Or if God is all-loving and cares about me, then he must not be all-powerful because look at what he's allowing to happen to me. And before you know it, slippery slope. And the enemy begins to, to get a finger hold into our lives and then a handhold and then a foothold. And before long, we find ourselves becoming rather vanilla and lukewarm about our faith and maybe even, even giving up on following Jesus altogether. I just heard an a interview with a guy the other day. Years ago, he wrote a famous book that was famous in churches among Christians, and he's walked away from the faith. And you've probably seen that happen in somebody else's life or even sensed it begin to happen in your own life. That's the path of folly, to lean away. But then there's the path of wisdom where we lean into God and not away. We understand by faith that God is an all-powerful and all-loving God. And in his wisdom, mysteriously, and yet sovereignly, he allows whatever this darkness is to happen to me so he can work in me in order to do something through me. Which path do you take? Today we're looking at Revelation chapter 14. Um, just sidebar note, <clears throat> as you get in deeper into chapter 14, you're going to read about uh, hell, and you're going to read about the final judgment. Now, we're going to come back to those themes, actually, as we get deeper into the book of Revelation. Today, what we're doing is focusing on verses 1 through 5. Why? Because these are the Christ followers who are standing before the Lord, who have lived through chapters 12 and 13. Do you remember those from last week? 
Chapter 12, we're introduced to the enormous red dragon who represents Satan. Chapter 13, we're introduced to the beast that comes out of the sea, who is the Antichrist. We're introduced to the beast that comes out of the earth, who represents the false prophet. And together, the, 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 Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they represent the unholy trinity, who lower the hammer on the church and persecute Christians all over the world. And we're going to learn from those who lived through that, who went through that, died through that. We're going to learn from them. How do we face our own darkness in our own lives? Before we get to that, before we get to verses 1 through 5, I want to, I want to show you verses 6 and 7, which reads like this. And I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So what we see happening here is somehow, in some way, an angel is up in the sky, visible to all, all on earth can hear this angel proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is like God's last shot at getting humankind to turn back to him. This is the angel proclaiming the gospel of Christ. In, in Peter's second letter, he, says, he writes, God does not want any person to perish. And so here it is, an opportunity, a last opportunity to turn back to God through faith in Christ. Now, angels are messengers of God. We know that from Scripture. But they are not the primary proclaimers of God's word. People are. The church, the church, you and I, are to be the, the primary pro proclaimers of the gospel of Christ. Now, I want to ask you a question. When is, when is the message of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, when is it most compelling when is it, is it most considered by those who are still far from God? When is that? When is it most compelling? Now, there are probably several answers to that question, but let me give you one that I think has to rank up there among the top, and that is this. When you and I, as Christ followers, are going through the night, through the darkness, through the valleys, through our hardship, for whatever reason it may be. And the world is watching. What do they see? What do they see? I think we can learn from these who have lived through chapters 12 and 13. We're going to look at several principles that help us to know how we can live, how we should live our Christ-following lives. And the first principle comes out of verse 1, which says this, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. I'll come back to the 144,000 in just a little while. But notice, this is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who was slain. The Lamb of God who died on the cross. The Lamb of God who resurrected the Lamb of God who ascended into heaven, and now the Lamb of God who is standing in conquest. <laughs> this is a military metaphor of victory. He is standing, and he's standing on Mount Zion, which is the, centri the central location 
of where the kingdom of God will be established here on earth. And you and I, as Christ followers, will reign with Jesus forever. Forever. Let me ask you a question. If I were to, if I were to mention George Washington to you, in your mind's eye, what visual do you have in your mind of George Washington? Maybe George Washington on a white stallion or white hair or his blue coat or maybe crossing the Delaware. If I were to give you another historical figure, how about Jesus? What comes to mind? And maybe it's Jesus in a manger. Maybe it's Jesus in a boat fishing. Maybe it's Jesus performing a miracle. Maybe it's Jesus on the cross. Maybe it's Jesus ascending into heaven. But if you are familiar with the breadth of Scripture and understand what the Old Testament points us toward and what Revelation tells us, you must arrive at the King of kings and the Lord of lords that Jesus has traded in his crown of thorns for the crown of a king. And he is on his throne. Which leads us to our first principle we can live by. We're to live as though Jesus occupies his throne. Jesus reigns. He reigns over all the universe. He knows every particle of the universe and he knows every element of my life and your life, every detail of our lives. I've, always, I've often thought it's interesting that the most common command in all of the Bible, the most frequent command, and you may know this, is, that, is simply do not fear. Do not be afraid. Now, why would that be the most common command? <laughs> Simple answer, well, we are very prone to fear and being afraid, some more than others. And it is, it is a command not without reason. It's not without reason because Jesus is on his throne. And he is ruling from his throne. And he is in control of all that happens. Now, some of the things that have come into your life recently or that you're going through right now are incredibly difficult. There's no question about that. But two realities can be true at the same time. This stinks. This is hard. This is miserable. And Jesus is on his throne. So I want to ask you, when you're going through a really hard time, where does your gaze go? Does it just, just lands on your problem? Or do you gaze at the one who gave his life for you? Breathe new life into you by his spirit? Has given you promise, the promise of eternal life? The one who, who will one day come back and make all things right, who will reign on earth and us together with him, he is the one we're to look at. We are to live as Jesus is on his throne. Second, let's sing a song of joy in the face of suffering. These verses is where I, we get this principle. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of 
loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. What a what a, a sight, what a sound this must have been. I, I would Recently, we took a little vacation. We were on the ocean, standing there, these, these roaring waves. Have you been there? Just even Lake Erie. You know, it's, it's amazing how the ocean, standing there at the, at, the, at the beach, it can be thunderous and therapeutic at the same time. It, it can be just loud. And it can just be relaxing at the same time. It can be powerful, peaceful at the same time. And that's what this is. This, this orchestra and this choir comes together to sing in awe before Jesus, the Lord who's on his throne standing in conquest. The, the, the other day, the other day, I was with a, a group of staff members, and, and among us was the leader of our middle school ministry. And we were talking about uh, sharing our faith, talking openly about Jesus. And, and the middle school leader said, you know, I find it that, that with middle school kids, and this is just generally speaking, not true of every single one, but I find it be true to be true that they are hesitant. They are to talk about openly about their faith. They're, they're hesitant. They're hesitant. They're, they're sort of restrained. They're, re, they're kind of resistant. And then somebody said, well, if that's true of middle schoolers, I think it even becomes more so when they get into high school. They're more reserved, more hesitant to talk openly about their faith and to celebrate Jesus openly. And then somebody said, well, if that's true, let's, how about adults? I think that's even more true with Adults, we just tend to be reserved and refrain. We don't, we don't want to openly celebrate and talk openly about our faith. And we realized this progression, middle school, high school, adult. Let's go all the way back to where they're little kids. <laughs> There's no problem. Unreserved, unrestrained, openly celebrating, whatever, Right? It's no wonder Jesus says to the adults who are with him, your faith should be like that of a little child who openly celebrates, openly is in awe. That's fun. That's what John is hearing here. That's what he, this 144,000, I told you I'd, I'd explain who this is. I think I, we know. We, we learned about this 144,000 back in chapter 7. They represent the tribes of Israel. We don't know if the number is exact or if it's symbolic. And it, it probably represents uh, Christ followers who came out of the Jewish faith. But I believe they are, they are representing the entire church who has been redeemed by the Lamb from every tribe and language and nation. And now together they are in awe. They are in celebration. They are in worship. And why are they so 
enamored? Why are they, why are they worshiping so freely? Think of where they've been. Chapter 12 and 13, mercilessly being hunted down by the enemy and martyred. And now they are standing before the Lord and they know that when they were going through that dark time, the fires of persecution and trial, they did not lean away. They leaned into God and into Jesus. That's what they did. Some of you know uh, that a number of us on staff, we have a favorite pastor, a favorite teacher, a favorite writer by the name of Tim Keller. And he wrote an article recently in Atlantic Magazine. And this is one of the things that he says. <clears throat> I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life, that I've never had more days filled with comfort. Now, why would he write that? I need to give you the context. I need to give you the title of the article. And it goes like this, Growing My Faith in the Face of Death. Tim Keller in the last year was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I'm so glad we have a, a cancer care ministry called, um, I can't think of it, Blessings of Hope. Hopefully we can do some good with that. <clears throat> Tim Keller talks openly about his pancreatic cancer. He, he, he talks about the, the physical struggle, the spiritual struggle that comes with it. But as he talks about his cancer, he speaks as one who has a sense of, of joy, of comfort. He's like, okay, how, how do you get there? When those dark moments come and there's no reason for it, what do you do? The other night, I was with my wife and another couple it was Bobby and Lynette Gupta. Bobby spoke to us last week by video. And the subject of joy came up, and he talked about joy, living in India, in the land of persecution. And then somebody asked me, well, how do you define joy? And I thought, well, you know, that's a, it's an interesting thing. The blurry line between joy and happiness. Happiness is emotions. It kind of comes and goes. But joy is different. Years ago, I learned this definition for joy. Joy is a settled disposition, a settled confidence that God is in control. <laughs> a settled disposition that God is in control. When we're talking about pain and hardship, I can't, think about the, I can't help but think about the Olympian of pain who is Job. 42 chapters of almost all pain. He loses his entire family. He loses his portfolio. And the, the, almost the entire book leads, reads like one big lament. We learned about a lament when we were studying through the book of Ruth. Naomi was lamenting. What is a lament? A lament is when you exist in the tension between troubles and trust, between problems and promise, between hurt and hope. And Job is just so honest about his pain. At times you think, can you talk to God like that? And he does. He's hurting. He's, he's in trouble. And yet, it's like, to whom else can I turn? God, but to you. And then he says something like, I know my Redeemer lives. And one day I will be brought forth as gold. And Job knew something. 
that you and I need to know. That God in his mysterious, sovereign will, he will allow something to happen to us so he can do a new thing in us in order to work through us. And so when we are in the middle of this deep valley, there's no dismissing how painful it is. It is hard. It's trouble. It's a problem. It's pain. It hurts. And yet, I know my Redeemer lives. God will bring me forth as gold. I can have joy in the sense that there is a settled confidence that God is in control. So those are the first two things we've learned. Live as though Jesus occupies the throne. Sing a song of joy in the face of suffering. The third and final one is follow in Jesus' footsteps. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. So, so John, once again, in his poetic imagery, helps to get across a point that these, these Christ followers who have been through so much, they remained pure in their resolve to follow Jesus. And it says that they follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he went. But I ask you, where did Jesus go? <laughs> he went to the cross. He was the suffering servant who went to the cross. And where did these martyrs go? They went to the point of suffering, giving up their lives. They followed in his footsteps. Now let me just take a moment. We're in the, we're in the revelation that John provides, but let's take a, a diversion back to his biggest book, which is the Gospel of John. And, the, and, and the, uh, just before Jesus goes to the cross, uh, he's arrested after being betrayed. He's arrested, and they come to arrest him, and this is what happens. You remember this. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. That's quite a shot, being able to take off just an ear. So Peter is, is acting impetuously. That's the way Peter was. But, but, but Peter learns a lesson from Jesus in this moment. As, as Jesus is miraculously healing the right ear of Malchus, these are the words that Jesus says to Peter. Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? What's Jesus saying? I, I'm trading in a sword for surrender. The Father has called me to the cross so that I might redeem the world, and you included, Peter. <laughs> I seek God's glory more than anything, and God in his will has called me to do this. Now, Peter didn't understand any of this at the moment, but after Jesus died on the cross, resurrected, ascended into heaven, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit who fills Peter's heart, and now the, the Holy Spirit begins to redirect Peter's heart and bring him to a new understanding. And much later in his first letter, this is what Peter writes. 
For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, as you must follow in his steps. How do we follow in his steps? At times, we just have to be willing to suffer. I, I can't help but think that, 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 that Peter, as he writes this, has in his mind the words Jesus taught years before when Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Be willing to face suffering. Or maybe in Peter's mind as he writes these words, uh, maybe he had a conversation with the Apostle Paul who eventually put it in print, Paul's words to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. If anyone, listen to this, if anyone seeks to live a godly life, they will face persecution. That means if anyone wants to go God's way, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, if anyone wants to be a Christ follower, there will be a cost. And maybe you know that from your workplace, where nobody else cares about following Jesus, you do. And you've paid a kind of price. Or maybe with your friends, when you finally said, I am a Christ follower, you experienced some ridicule. Or maybe you've taken the bold step to be the Christian in your family, regardless of what anyone else says. Or maybe it's in your school as a student. Nobody else talks about Christ, but you do. Or on your team. Or anywhere else. I am a Christ follower. But there's a cost. There's a cost. And that's okay. We're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Those dark times those hard times, those clouds come over our heads. For a variety of reasons, we live in a broken world, or maybe because we are Christ followers. Lean into God. Lean into God, who mysteriously, in his sovereign will, I can't explain it, will allow these things to come into our lives so he can do something new in our lives, so he can work through our lives. And those who are still far from God, they're watching us. And God can draw them to himself too as they see the hope in us. So as we go forward this week, may we live as though Jesus occupies the throne, sing a song of joy in the face of suffering, follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, to whom else can we turn as we live between our troubles and trust? Give us the strength to lean into you and not away. For you truly are doing something new in our lives, making us into someone we could not be otherwise. You have a plan. You have a purpose. Help us to be true Christ followers. In whose name we pray. Amen.
we uh, uh, finish uh, each of our services as we're going through Revelation with a benediction, I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand with me and we'll, it's on the screen. Let's, let's say it together, could we please? Here we go. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Enjoy your day.